Welcome to Oral Presentations Podcast, Episode 78, Memorial Day Special, The Battle of the Bulge. Here we go, three-day weekend coming. Here we go, right? It's Friday. Is anybody, I don't know, I remember before a three-day weekend, I don't know, as long as you, like, you're close to budget, I feel like, you know, I feel like it might be, everybody's just kind of relaxed today. And then what's nice about a three-day weekend is that when you do come back on Tuesday, that's only a four-day work week, you know? That's pretty nice. But, oh, oh, I will tell you this. Yo, I had... All right, so I remember I came back from, like, a three-day weekend. It was in, like, 2017. I was working in, like, the detail bay of a shop. And so I came back for, like, a four-day work week. And I thought, like, if, if you have a job that if you work over 40 hours, then you get time and a half on your hourly wage, right? That was the situation I was in. And so it was like a four-day work week. I think it might have been Memorial Day. So like you got and you get eight hours for free because it's a vacation day, right? But I was thinking like, okay, well, if I get time and a half, if I get past 40, I already got eight. I'll work the rest of the week. And it's like I didn't even really work a full week. And then I'll work a Saturday, show off for like five hours. There you go. Got five hours of OT automatically, right? Careful. That's not how it works, at least in Pennsylvania. I'm not sure where you're at right now. But I did that plan and, like, thought I was going to get, like, five hours of overtime. And then I got my check, dude. And, like, <laughs> dude, I looked at it and I was like, there has to be some sort of clerical error here. What? I remember I went and asked my boss, and I liked my boss at the time. I remember I went and asked him, like, hey, hey, I think that there was, like, a clerical mistake. I did work some overtime, and I, I, don't, I don't see it on my check here. And he, he was just like, nah, kid, there's a, when you get, you got to go past the eight hours were free. So you got to get 48 and then above that is time and a half. So I don't know if you already know that or not, but if you don't already know that and you were planning when you come back on this four day work week to go ahead and work a Saturday and stack some overtime for like cheap. Cause you already got the eight. I'm telling you, I did. I tried it. Broke my heart, dude. I couldn't listen to Layla on the way home. I couldn't put on that Clapton song. So I was so bummed. I was like, this is not a time for Layla, Chris. Turn the radio off. So watch out for that. But Memorial Day weekend coming up, right? Excuse to do another World War II topic. And we're doing European theater again because, I don't know, I just felt like I was going to do that. Last year we did D-Day. This year we're doing the Battle of the Bulge. I picked the Battle of the Bulge because I feel like a lot of people have heard of it. But don't really know exactly what happened there. And when I say a lot of people, I'm also including myself. Now, I did black out to the World War II documentary Warlords like four nights a week in like 2016. But I didn't really, turns out you don't really remember a whole lot if you try to learn like that. Also, I would have like a belly full like Grubhub couple of burritos at the same time. So it's not like I retained a whole lot. I have, like, World War II knowledge in spots, and I, I, I'm i one of the people, I knew the Battle of the Bulge's name, I kind of knew what happened, but in looking into it, I was like, oh yeah, you really, you re if it was a possible, if someone's going to ask you if you knew about the Battle of the Bulge, or somebody asked me before looking into this, I might have raised my hand and been like, yeah, I know what that is, I did not know, nope, didn't understand it, so... We're going to go through just a quick WW2 history in honor of Memorial Day, American history. Here we go. Let's see what happens here. So I, we're going to set up where Germany was at when this was going on, where the Allied forces were at. We're going to touch on Russia a little bit. We're going to see who pitched what plan, why did we do that, and then we'll take a look at how it worked out. 
That's it. Then we'll just cruise into this three-day weekend together, you know? Here we go. All right. Battle of the Bulge. Our story takes place in December of 1944. This is when the offensive actually starts, but we got to back it up a little bit to set the tone for where the Allied forces on the Western Front were at confidence-wise. So this is, when we talk about Western Front here, I'm talking about D-Day invasion on a Normandy into France. This is, when I say Western Front, that's what we're dealing with. We're talking about primarily American and British troops, some Canadian troops hanging out too. I'm going to misname a few countries. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but when we're talking about the Western Front here, American and British forces. That's to the left of Germany if you're looking at the risk map. Now, when I refer to the Eastern Front, we're talking about Germany versus Russia to the right of the risk map if you're looking at, at Germany. So, on the Western Front, four months prior to the Battle of the Bulge, the Allied forces, American and British forces, flying high, really having a good time, chock full of confidence, talking parades in Paris, people were having parties, dances, there was USO tours going on, people were confident, man, we had already gone into Europe, established a foothold, had pressed forward, got the capital of Paris back, Brussels liberated, Luxembourg's liberated, and I named those two countries because they come into play here, because that's where Hitler decides to go ahead and try to run through everybody, but... Four months prior to the Battle of the Bulge, Allied forces on the Western Front feeling good. Feeling good. There's rumors that like, hey man, Eisenhower says war might be over by Christmas. You know, this, all this shit might be behind us. This is pretty good. So the Allies are confident and relaxed. I mean, at this point in time, we, they had invaded Italy. Things are going well, you know? Also, on the Eastern Front, where we're talking about Germany versus Soviet Union, Joseph Stalin, Hitler was getting rolled. He was. He was coming up against it, right? Specifically, Hitler had lost 900,000 men in the summer and fall of 1944 on the Eastern Front. That was um, just a quick sidebar here. So Hitler tried to go into Russia. It was called Operation Barbarossa. He thought he could go ahead and run into Moscow and get it done before the winter started. It didn't work out. One of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons for why it didn't work out, and that's not the point of this episode, but when Hitler decided to go and try to take Russia in Operation Barbarossa, what he did was that he split his forces into three separate giant units. So he sent a third of his army up north, I believe to Leningrad, and then he put a third of his army going straight over towards Moscow for the capital, and then he put a third of his army going down towards the Caucasus oil fields, right? So he wanted the Caucasus oil fields because... If you get those, you got endless gasoline, your tanks can run all day. You need those. He also wanted grain and like food and provisions, but mostly we're looking for caucus oil fields as far as why he sent a third of his people down. He sent a third of his people towards Moscow because you want the capital. Also, if you get Moscow, as far as the communications hub goes, if you if if the Germans could take Moscow, then they shut down all the communications. Not all of them, but like, man, that would disrupt the Soviets' ability to be able to launch an effective counterattack if the Germans could take Moscow. And then he sent a third of his dudes up north to Leningrad. And as I understand it, that was more of like a like a, a political thing where like he wanted to capture Leningrad as like, I took Lenin City, I own your shit, right? But here's the thing, if you... Again, I'm not an expert in World War II, but as I understand it, one of the things Hitler didn't understand about invading Russia is how big Russia is. 
Russia is enormous. So like when he chopped his army up into three different parts and then sent them up center and down, it would be like the equivalent of like if you started a big army at New York and then you had to have a 30-year army go to Montana, a 30-year army has got to go to Oklahoma, and then another 30-year army has to go down to New Orleans. But it's not in America where, like, America has good roads. Russia also has terrible roads at the time, dude. And it's not like the entire German forces were mechanized. They had a shitload of horses. It got so muddy before it got snowy. And then eventually it got so chilly that things just didn't work out. And Hitler lost 900,000 men. All right. So, Eastern Front not going well for Germany. All right. So, even before, like... Any of the Battle of the Bulge takes place. I'm talking July of 1944. Hitler's top generals were trying to talk to him about surrendering. They were just, hey man, I think this is done. We got to talk about surrender. And a couple people had a stronger message than that. Specifically on July 20th, 1944, some of Hitler's top generals tried to blow him up. Did not work. That is the movie. That's the Tom Cruise movie, Valkyrie, which is like a dramatic interpretation of those events. But like it's... Yeah, they tried to blow him up at, like, that secret hideout he had over in the in the woods. Didn't work. So after he almost got blown up but then didn't get blown up, it made him believe that he is destined for victory and that he's alive for a reason, which uh, even even less possible to talk to. But his generals were already trying to get him to surrender before some other generals tried to blow him up. And the guy, not known for being the best listener on Earth, you know? So, Eastern Front not going great. For, uh, for Hitler, and then on the Western Front, Germans not doing great either. A lot of them are retreating back to a thing called the Siegfried Line, which was the last line of heavy fortifications that was designed to keep the Allies, or the Western Allies, from invading mainland Germany and actually getting on the German soil. That's the Siegfried Line. So a lot of Germans were already falling back to the Siegfried Line. Meanwhile, Western Allies partying, having, having parades in Paris, USO tours. I forget what the lady's name was. I might remember it during Marlena Dietrich. That's who it was. Marlena Dietrich was like doing USO tours like right before the Battle of the Bulge broke out. But like, yeah, that's how confident the Western Allies were. All right. So, and the Allies were so confident in their inevitable victory as far as like defeating Nazi Germany that wartime production quotas in America had been relaxed for the first time in the entire war. So like, Still cranking out battleships and tanks and stuff, but but the volume's not turned up to 11 on industrial production. It's the first time in the entire war that America got to lax quotas a little bit because they were so confident. Meanwhile, Germany's industrial production levels peaks in the fall of 1944, mostly due to secret underground factories that were built with slave labor. And... Hitler then goes and he creates a new army because he's running out of dudes. You lost almost a million over in Russia. That didn't work out. So Hitler decides that he's going to create a new army out of the remaining German population. And it's called the Volksgrenadier, which translates roughly into the People's Army. This was anybody left in Germany. Like, we're talking about like old dudes, real young kids. People are sick. If you got like a bum leg and you didn't get into the army to begin with, that's what the Volksgrenadier is. So Hitler creates the Volksgrenadier. And then he combines that with some of his best troops from the Eastern Front. And then he begins secretly massing those forces on the Western Front by the Ardennes Forest in October of 1944. So, just to recap, he gets all the old dudes and young kids, puts them in uniforms, gives them guns and stuff. 
And then he also takes some of his elite troops from the from fighting Russia and puts those two pieces together and starts amassing them in the Ardennes Forest, which is on the Western Front by Belgium and Luxembourg. It's also the same forest that he went and traveled down in uh, 1940 to be able to invade France, but we'll get there in a second. All right, so he's massing these forces on the Western Front in the Ardennes Forest, and the plan was so secret that a lot of those German troops who ended up hanging out in the forest and trying to, like, they were just moved there. They didn't even know why they were there. Now, at this point in time, the Germans go radio silence. But the Allies don't think that that's suspicious at all because the Allies are so confident on the Western Front that they're like, yeah, of course the Germans aren't having radio chatter right now. They're fucking losing. They ain't got shit to talk about. What are they going to talk about? How bad they're running from us? Whatever. It's a bad sign that was ignored. Also, the Allies had achieved air superiority at this point in time, and they were bombing Berlin daily. But air superiority didn't help them as far as detecting the buildup of Nazi forces around the Ardennes Forest because the Ardennes Forest is a thick forest and it's got a lot of narrow valleys. So even though the Allies had air superiority and were doing flyovers, the Germans could hide the massive troops in the Ardennes Forest because of the tree cover. So, Hitler's plan. Buying scratch-offs. That, that was the title I wrote. But this is a long shot of a plan. But this was the plan that turned into the Battle of the Bulge. All right. So, Hitler selected an 80-mile front along the borders of Belgium and Luxembourg to launch a surprise last-ditch effort. And he was what his objective was, he wanted to split the Allied forces along the, rest, the Western Front. So, it's a very similar plan... He's almost running the same play that he ran in to go capture France in 1940, which is sneak a bunch of dudes through the Ardennes Forest. But in 1940, people didn't believe that it was even possible to get tanks through the Ardennes Forest. Nobody ever seen that shit before. He's pretty much trying to run the same play, but instead of going through the Ardennes Forest and hooking south and then taking Paris, his plan is I'm going to go through the Ardennes Forest and then we're going to hook north. And our ultimate objective is to take the deep water port of Antwerp. Now... By carving through the Ardennes Forest and hooking north and taking the deep water port of Antwerp, Hitler had planned to, number one, cut the Western Allies in two halves. And if he can do that, he would then thus encircle four armies to the north and force their surrender. Now, when he ran this plan in 1940 and it worked, when the, he hooked down and took Paris, that's where the movie Dunkirk comes from, which you guys may have seen. It came out like a couple of years ago. Because when he, he hooked down and took Paris, he separated a bunch of British troops from being able to retreat, and then they were forced into the sea, and then the movie Dunkirk happened, where everybody with a boat in England was like, yo, get on this boat, we gotta get the fuck out of France, dude, right? So, part of the Battle of the Bulge plan was that Hitler wanted to go ahead and pull the same trick, but hook up north, isolate four allied armies to the north, make, push them into the sea, force their surrender. That was, that was one of the things that he was trying to uh, achieve here. Number two... He wanted to capture the deep water port of Antwerp. Why? Because this would effectively cripple the Western Allies' ability to resupply their armies, which were occupying mainland Europe. Now, the Allies did have something called the Red Ball Express, which was a series of trucks that were trying their best to supply the Allied armies, but it just wasn't enough. The Allies, right before the Battle of the Bulge, like in like November, because the Battle of the Bulge breaks out December 16, 1944, but like in November... The Allies finally got it going up in Antwerp because 
I think Montgomery, General Montgomery from the British, I'm not sure which general was supposed to do this, but somebody was supposed to clear out Antwerp. But the way that that port is structured, there's a lot of like wetlands in front of it, and there were still a ton of Nazi forces in the wetlands. So it really couldn't get up and going until like November. So they had like a month of a good deep water port to be able to supply it, and then the Battle of the Bulge breaks out here. But Hitler wants to take Antwerp to be able to take that deep water port for good. Plus, then you isolate those four allied armies, maybe get them to surrender, maybe have a second Dunkirk, whatever you want to do. And the third objective, if this plan works, possible bonus here, Hitler was trying to create internal conflict among allied leadership, specifically the British and the American high command. There was tension among the high-level generals between Patton, Montgomery, Bradley, and Eisenhower. There's also tension because, like, Patton and Montgomery were specifically, like, fighting generals, whereas Eisenhower was kind of known as a desk general. The guy's all about logistics, but he wasn't on the battlefield so much. So there is inherent tension among, like, British and American high command here. And so Hitler was thinking, well, if I can split them up, cause controversy, ultimately what he was trying to do was get either the British or Americans, if he can get the high commands to fight hard enough with each other, then he could possibly strike a separate peace with either the British or the American forces because he just wants to be done with the Western Front because he's getting his balls beat in so bad on the Eastern Front. He knows the Russians are going to be a problem. So the Battle of the Bulge was trying to solve the Western Front problem here, but it just didn't. It just did not work out. All right, so... Hitler outlines this plans to his, gen his top generals in October. They were not into it. They were not about it. Specifically, one of them was like, all right, so all he wants me to do is, you got, I got to go to Antwerp, and it's going to be the time of year when snow is waist deep. All my forces are undersupplied. And here's a kicker. All the Nazi forces, they only had 25% of the gas that they would need to get to Antwerp. A quarter of the gas... If, and that's not with fighting. That's just if you wanted to take a road trip with all the tanks and trucks that you're trying to move through the Ardennes Forest up to Antwerp, you have 25% of the gas you need. Even if you don't fight anybody, which you're going to have to fight people. But apparently Hitler thought that wasn't going to be a problem because he was like, look, we'll just steal the shit. That was seriously the plan, which is like, all right, we got 25% of the gas, we'll go 25% of the way, and then we'll just steal a bunch of gas from the Allied forces, capture it, this will totally work out. So really, this plan sort of like a burglary and an invasion at the same time. So Hitler's general's not into it, but like, again, Hitler not a guy you could really argue with at that point in time. He was, he was riding high on like, yo, this plan worked before in 1940 when we went south with it. It's pretty much the same thing. Also, did you hear I almost got blown up a couple months ago? Definitely got a destiny. This is totally going to work. So they were going to run with the plan. Now it's worth noting the Allied troops who were stationed in the Ardennes Forest were very new soldiers by design. The Ardennes Forest was, no, was nicknamed the Ghost Front because there was nothing going on there. So Allied High Command would put, like, new units there to get used to, like, you know, going on patrols, being in war, just getting used to things, getting your feet wet a little bit. So a lot of the Allied forces that would go to absorb the brunt of the, ally, of the German offensive during the Battle of the Bulge were either brand new or pretty green. There wasn't a whole lot of veterans there. Days before the attack, a handful of civilians start crossing into American lines from Luxembourg, and they're, and they're just like, yo, there are a ton of Germans 
like by my hometown. I'm telling you, I walked here. I'm coming behind your enemy lines because there are there there's a shitload of Nazis, dude. I'm just telling you. So you have civilians crossing American lines and telling them like, yo, there is there's gonna be a problem soon. Unfortunately, those reports were dismissed. Also, British British codebreakers at a place called Bletchley Park had warned the Allies of an imminent attack as well. Now, Bletchley Park was like the head code-breaking place for like English espionage forces during World War II. Now, sidebar here, England's, as far as I know, England's known for two things when it comes to war. One, their Navy's awesome because they're an island and they've always known that like, yo, if, if you can't sail a boat here, you can't invade shit. So the British Navy is awesome. And number two, they're known for espionage. And Bletchley Park was the code-breaking mecca for the Allied forces during World War II. They had, like, one of the first computers, dude. They had a computer. It was, like, the size of, like, an auditorium. But it was technically the first computer. They called it the Colossus. And Bletchley Park was breaking apart German codes. I mean, they, they these are the people who captured, if you know a little bit about World War II, the Germans used a machine called the Enigma machine that German forces thought was completely uncrackable. Now, Bletchley Park got it done captured one, reverse engineered it, didn't tell anybody. So like towards the end of the war, Bletchley Park was just real time decoding messages that Germans were sending in Enigma machines back and forth, especially apparently the Luftwaffe, which is the German Air Force, got kind of lazy with it because you're supposed to rotate codes on that thing and they just weren't doing that. And Bletchley Park was just reading their text and knowing exactly what the hell was going on the whole time. Anyway, so prior, prior to the Battle of Bulge, British code breakers at Bletchley Park decoded a number of messages that were talking about lightning action and all this other shit. They didn't know what was going on, but they relayed the reports to the Allied High Command. Those reports were also ignored. And Bletchley Park had been right before and had been ignored before. Sidebar here. There was an operation called Market Garden like six months prior to the Battle of the Bulge. Now, just real quick, Market Garden was an idea pitched by British General Montgomery. So the Allies had a foothold in Europe and British General Montgomery was like, look, I know we're doing this like slow advance thing or whatever, but here's the thing. I got this idea. It's called Operation Market Garden. So what we're going to do, check out this map I got. Do you see all these bridges? There was like four or five bridges that would eventually lead into Germany's industrial production heartland, right? So Montgomery's like, here's what we do, dude. I got all these paratroopers, right? Let's just drop paratroopers. Boom, da, boom, da, boom, da, boom. Get these bridges. Roll some armor over there. Fuck up all their factories. We'll starve them out. War will be over immediately. I'm telling you, they won't be able to make a bullet. Let's do it, right? So the Allies went with this plan, Market Garden. Now, before Market Garden launched, the code breakers at Bletchley Park were like, yo, heads up. We intercepted a communique that says there's two Panzer divisions, like, rearming and resupplying by one of these bridges, dudes. I really don't think you guys should do that. But they went ahead with Market Garden, and the plan... Did not work. And that's actually where the phrase, Operation Market Garden is where the phrase a bridge too far comes from. That's where that phrase was coined from. The idea of like, ah, you reached too far. Because after Operation Market Garden was unsuccessful, that was one of the things that was said. Was just like, ah, it's a bridge too far. So just sidebar, that's where that saying comes from. It's a World War II thing. Anyway, so Bletchley Park had been right before and had been ignored before. They're telling you again, dude, I'm telling, we got these messages. It says lightning action. We should really think about this shit. Also, did you hear about those, those people coming from Luxembourg saying they got all these tanks and shit over there? Is anybody listening to me at all? Nah, the confidence was riding high. The Allied High Command didn't believe that Germany had it in them 
to have another giant attack again. They just didn't know that they had the manpower, the resources, or anything like that. They were like, well, maybe they might attack, but it's not going to be a big deal, dude. These guys are getting their balls beat in. They don't got it in them again. So, December 16th, 1944. The weather was bad, which negated the Allies' air superiority, which Hitler knew that he needed if this plan had any chance of success at all. So, bad weather... Hitler orders a total of a quarter of a million German troops to attack the unsuspecting and very green Allied troops stationed along that 80-mile front in the Ardennes Forest. And again, the inexperienced Allied soldiers thought they were on the ghost front. And then they were hit by one of the largest artillery assaults launched by Nazi Germany during the entire Second World War on December 16, 1944. They thought they were on the ghost front. So it was, it was a bad day. It was out of the allied companies made up of about like 200 guys. Some of those companies who, who saw action on the first day of the invasion or of, of the, uh, not invasion, I guess you could call it an invasion, but the first day of, of fighting on December 16th. So like if a company had 200 guys, one company lost nine tenths of their men on the first dude out of 200 people, they had like 21 guys left. But after the first day, even Eisenhower and General Omar Bradley didn't believe that it was possible for Germany to have launched a serious attack at this point in the war. They thought it was possibly a thing called a spoiler attack, which is like, like a light attack that's meant to disrupt operations and shit. But like I'm telling you, the Allies just didn't, they just didn't think it was possible, man, to have this many, this strong of an attack out of nowhere. They, they just didn't think it was possible. But... By Sunday night, because the attack happened December 16th, 1944, was a Saturday. And, but by Sunday night, the Allied High Command, they were confused, but they understood that it was a serious situation. Now, the Germans were pushing forward along that 80-mile stretch, and the Allies were retreating after being overwhelmed. Allied ammunition was a huge problem. Now, every soldier that was in that Ardennes Forest region, the new guys... They only had 48 rounds for the, for the M1 carbine rifle. And those rounds were spent after a few days of fighting. So all those dudes who were brand new, they only got less than 50 bullets. for their, They're gone. After a couple of days of like hellacious fighting, artillery assault, nobody knows what's going on. Ammunition's a huge problem. So the actual number of divisions that were going up against each other. So surprise attack, you had 25 German divisions, including 10 armor divisions versus four allied divisions of relatively inexperienced troops, including one armored division. 25 versus four. Also, there were secret Nazi commandos that went behind enemy line or behind allied lines, and they were dressed as Americans, total American uniforms, they had Jeeps and shit, and their job was to sabotage road signs and logistical supply lines, also possibly assassinate officers if the opportunity presented itself. That was another problem that the Allies were dealing with during the Battle of the Bulge. Now, if any of those dudes were caught, and some of them were caught, they were executed immediately as spies. They were, they were you just shot them. You just, and after about like five days of the Battle of the Bulge, those guys kind of stopped showing up. I'm not sure if they all got shot or all got caught or some of them got shot and then the other ones heard about it and they were like, fuck all this. I don't know. But that was a problem for about five days. And it got to the point where I believe... People were so paranoid in the, alloy, in the uh, allied lines that even, I think, General Omar Bradley got his 
Like they checked his documents and he was like one of the commanding generals in like the allied high command. But like, that was a scary thing for the allies. They were already dealing with a, with an assault that they didn't even think was possible. But then on top of that, you had secret Nazi commandos fucking up road signs and trying to kill people secretly in an American uniform. So that was also another problem they dealt with. Now, as far as trying to combat this offensive, Allied combat engineers really stepped up and they did slow the advance of the Germans by blowing up bridges and sabotaging roads. Now, the roads in the Ardennes Forest already not ideal to be able to move heavy vehicles or any large number of people through. That's why in 1940, when they invaded France, nobody thought it was even possible. Same shitty roads are there now. So to be able to slow the German advance, Allied combat engineers blowing up bridges, putting some mines in there. If you can blow a tank up, you fuck a whole road up. So those guys really got good work done there. Now, Eisenhower and Bradley realize that this is a serious situation, and they call up all airborne troops. I'm talking about the 82nd and the 101st specifically. We're ordered to drop everything and move out into the town of Bastogne. Now, Bastogne was a critical town because of how many roads intersects with it, and Bastogne was also another uh, major communications hub for the entire region of the Ardennes. So the 101st gets there. They dig in, and they're told that they, no matter what, you got to hold the town of Bastogne, man. So that's the plan right now. Insert General George S. Patton, who's about 100 miles south when all this is taking place. And turns out he was already preparing his troops to make a run at Berlin. He was already mobilizing his 3rd Armored Division. I, believe, I, I think he had like... Yeah, he had the 3rd Armored Division. I think he ends up bringing like three or four divisions up north to help with Bastogne. But he was already getting his guys ready for a road trip, right? So he hears about this. And at first, he's a little bit kind of concerned because he knows that there's a problem up there. And he's he's preparing to roll on Berlin, dude. Well, he's going to end the war. He wants glory. He wants to end this shit. But when the Battle of the Bulge happens, he knows that the high command, including Eisenhower, may take some of his troops away from him to go deal with the Battle of the Bulge. So, instead of waiting for that to happen, Patton's like, yo, I'll just take all my guys up there because Eisenhower's asking, like, hell, who can get there to help? We have to hold Bastogne. This is a huge problem. If they take the Deepwater Port of Antwerp, it's really going to be a bad... I don't know what's going on. Can anybody get there? And so Patton, thinking that they might take his guys away from him anyway, and also wants to go up there and help out, tells Eisenhower, hey, man, I can be there, ready to fight. Give me 48 hours. We were already packed up, ready to go. We were going to go somewhere else, but I'll go up north first. Let's do it, right? So Patton rolls out, takes his 3rd Armored Division, and starts heading north towards Bastogne. 22nd of December. Two Germans under a white flag of truce come, and they demand surrender from the commanding officer of Bastogne, a guy named Tony McAuliffe. Now, when McAuliffe was told about this, he was taking a nap, right? It wasn't the two German guys who came in to talk to him in his tent. It was like a, a messenger who was like, yo, there's two German guys here, and they're talking about we got to surrender, man. And so Tony McAuliffe wakes up, and he doesn't understand. He's like, what are you talking about? They're trying to surrender to us, man? I was asleep, dude. What are you doing? And then the guy clarifies, like, no, no, no. They want us to surrender, man. I'm sorry to wake you up. They're, they're looking for us to surrender. And so McAuliffe tells the guy, like, ah, fucking nuts, dude. I'm not doing that. Which, like, gets a laugh. But then 
they all decide that, like, well, we got to send something back to these guys. If we're not going to surrender, we got to send something back. So McAuliffe's asking, like, well, what do we send? Like, what do you think I should send them? And one of his aides was like, well, why don't you just send that, what you just said? McAuliffe's like, what are you talking about? He's like, just send them nuts, dude. So, commanding officer McAuliffe sends, the exact message was, to the German commander, nuts, exclamation part. Signed, A.C. McAuliffe, commanding. Now, the Allied press learns about this exchange, and it becomes a huge morale boost for the Allied forces. McAuliffe, the 101st, the 82nd, and various other units are surrounded, but they're not given up, and the press learned about him sending just back the word nuts, dude. And when the Nazis get the, the message nuts, it infuriates them, which I also thought about how, like, they probably had to translate that, because, like... Nuts meaning, like, get the fuck out of here. Like, they had to, it was slang, right? So they probably had to go through a translator, and whoever had to get it be like, what they say, nuts? What's that even mean? <laughs> they were pissed. They were like, what the fuck is this, right? So, they see it as a galvanizing symbol for the Allied forces because they know that the press has picked up the story. Specifically, Hitler learns about this, and he's like, all right, no matter what, we have to take Bastogne now. So in replying nuts to a surrender demand, McAuliffe has now effectively distracted Hitler from the original plan, which was already pretty unlikely to work out, right? You only had 25% of the gasoline you needed. And so now Hitler's pissed at this dude in Bastogne, and he's totally redirecting it and being like, no matter what, we got to take Bastogne, which is not the objective that you even set out, which you probably couldn't get done anyway, man. But Hitler mandates that Bastogne must be taken now. December 23rd, George S. Patton nears the southern flank of the German bulge. But also that same day, snowy weather clears up. And Hitler knew that he needed snowy weather to negate the Allies' air supremacy. However, December 23rd, yeah, blue skies. And that is perfect weather for using airplanes to destroy tanks. Now, Hitler had been gifted a week of snow, but that week was over, and German tanks get hammered by the Allied Air Force. Hundreds of planes, morning till night, blowing up anything with a swastika on it. Clearweather also opened up the ability for the Allies to resupply Bastogne via airdrop. Ammunition, food, whatever you need, medical supplies. It was time for the Allies to get their loadouts, you know? Alright, so Hitler knew that he needed the bad weather, and his luck had ran out. His best troops and the last of his resources that he could muster for a major offensive were now at the mercy of the Allied Air Force because the weather had cleaned up. Now, after this happens, the Allies then pin the northern and southern shoulder of the bulge to be able to pin them into that 80-mile stretch that they originally started at so they can't go up and down. So the, the Nazi offensive had, had completely stalled out at that point in time. You can't go anywhere else. They were pretty much out of fuel. They're getting blown up from the sky, and they're pinned in from the north and the south. They can't go anywhere. Turns out the farthest they got on this Battle of the Bulge off offensive plan, which was trying to get to Antwerp, they got just within sight of the Mers River. Now, the Mers River was a mark that, according to the original plan put forth by Hitler, they were supposed to hit the Mers River by the end of day two at the absolute latest. And at this point in time, it had been 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20. It had been like five, six days, dude. 
Not working out. Out of gas. Not going. That's as far as they got. 80 miles wide and 50 miles deep. That's it. That's all they got. And it was halted. So December 25th, Christmas Day, the Germans do make one last push for Bastogne, and it does break through in two places of McCullough's lines, but before the end of the day, they were driven back, and Bastogne was still in Allied hands. December 26, 1944, George S. Patton and his 3rd Armored Division break through to Bastogne and reinforce the town. And they even brought press, dudes to pin medals on people. Patton shows up, there's all the tanks in the world, Germans already beat, they're still getting blown up by tanks, it's not like that stopped. That's every day, dude. So, hit Tony McCullough and the 101st Airborne become the pride of the Allied forces. Hitler had then squandered all of his armor reserves. So, final killed and captured numbers for the Battle of the Bulge. You got 19,000 Allied troops killed. You got 1,500 taken prisoner. Germans suffered 100,000 casualties, which when you combine it to the Eastern Front, that's a square million dudes that are gone. Patton, uh, I'm sorry, and then uh, just to clean it up, uh, so the Bulge was still there but it had been halted. Now, as far as dealing with pushing the Germans back, Patton suggested, why don't I just go flank these dudes from the south, cut them off, we'll encircle them, we'll either take them as prisoner, that'll be it, you cut them off logistically, they're already pretty much out of gas, they'll be out of ammo, and we'll be able to take them. That plan was rejected. They didn't want to go with that, I don't know why they didn't want to go with that, but they said that they didn't want to go with it. So Eisenhower goes for like a broad approach to push the bulge back in the same direction that it came out, and eventually, on January 8th, 1945, Hitler orders a withdrawal and retreat of all remaining ta panzer tanks forces in the Ardennes. And on Tuesday, May 8th, 1945, Germany would unconditionally surrender to the Allied forces. This is known as VE Day or Victory in Europe Day. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Battle of the Bulge. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys have a great Memorial Day. I, uh, I do enjoy doing World War II topics. And uh, thanks for checking out the podcast. I hope everybody's safe this weekend. And I'll talk to you guys, uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. All right. I'll see you.